0: the intro of the Coaches Rising podcast. And I'm Joel and I just want to say a few words in the intro. Welcome back if you're a regular listener. I appreciate you tuning in. And if you're new, welcome. And this is a podcast for people who are really passionate about this mysterious and marvelous path of human growth and evolution. And so primarily A lot of listeners are coaches, that's what we talk about a lot, deep transformational coaching, but we we kind of cover a wide range of topics. And so today I'm going to be speaking with a remarkable man, I want to say that about Thomas, I think he is, uh, we just had a wonderful conversation, Thomas McConkie, and we're going to be talking about integral polarity practice and the model that Thomas works with, which Uh, actually was birthed into the world by John Kessler whereby uh, you can kind of begin to identify these prime polarities that that exist at different developmental stages and how you can work with those and the still point at the center of a pole. Polarities are extremely developmental and they're kind of at play at all the times in our lives, so fundamental. So this is a really important topic for us as, as people who are passionate about growth and coaching. So a few more words about Thomas. He is the founder of Lower Lights School of Wisdom, which uh, you can find at lowerlightswisdom.org. This school is really uh, doing deep transformational work with individuals and groups, It is is highly informed by integral polarity practice and uh, other models like Terry O'Fallon's stages of development. And uh, he's trained as a developmental researcher and facilitator and mindfulness teacher. And he's I think he's got decades of experience in uh, meditation and Buddhism. So that's a bit about Thomas. And just to say, if you are not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about the things we create, which aren't this podcast, which is some cool stuff, then you can head to coachesrising.com. Just scroll down that homepage, you'll find a sign-up box, put your name in there and you'll be in the loop. And if you feel like sharing this podcast, I'd really appreciate it. So that all being said, let's dive in. Here's the podcast with Thomas McConkie. It's really good to be with you. Um, We met briefly uh, in a session you were uh, speaking in for Coaches Rising and I just was really touched by what you were sharing. So I'm excited to bring you into the podcast today and and discuss things Well, how you doing. I'm doing great. I'm happy to see you again and looking forward to the conversation. Mm. Yeah, there, there's a lot of different topics we could uh, explore today, but maybe you actually it's just good to get a sense of like the work you're doing in the world and what's informing the work you're doing. You could speak about that on a personal calling level if you feel like and on a you know, um, the level of like some of the, the streams of wisdom that have come in. So that's a big question to start with. Yeah, let's, let's start big and go bigger.
1: Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) That's Um, my motto. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, where to start? I mean, I could say a little bit about how I, how I come to the work. I mean, we all, we all come to the path through suffering, through grace in a sense, um, I was raised Latter-day Saint, many know that as, you know, Mormon. So I was raised in a really Christian environment and uh, received some really significant gifts from that upbringing, but also felt like the religious institution was a tight fit. So I I left at a young age. Um, I fell in with a, a fine crowd of Buddhists. I met Genpo Roshi when I was a teenager back in the 90s. Um, and uh, shortly after that, he got to know Ken Wilber. And so I, I made friends with uh, not only the Buddhist world, but also the integral world. So when I look at my lineages, I, I look at Christianity, I look at Buddhism, and I look at integral, uh, You know, just to give people some handles to locate a little bit about what's informing me. Um, I, I guess I'll just, I'll throw this out and see if you bite on it. And if not, we can move on to something else. But. Um, you know getting really steeped and integral over the last i don't know i guess it's been almost 20 years i have a huge respect for what ken wilbur's done and, and so many brilliant uh hearts and minds um that have derived you know from his work i think a lot of people look back to wilbur for like the you know initial integral vision um but there's a there are new generations rising um doing like taking all of this work in really exciting new directions um what i realized along the way is i was trying to really integrate the integral view and uh maybe just context how how much do you talk about this how much do your
0: guests know about
1: the integral vision
0: yeah well uh we do uh it's a good question um you know i would say i'm assuming that a good percentage have Come across Ken Wilber's work as I I have, and okay. we have some guests who are like more directly in that lineage, but yep. there'll be probably a bunch of people listening <clears> who don't know what it is
1: as well. Yeah, cool. Well, I what I want to say is that um, I I became sensitized to this like whole movement of consciousness and transformation uh, via especially the Buddhist schools and Integral, and what I realized. I don't know, maybe 10 years into my path and practice was that like, there was something for me, there's something traditional that was missing. It was as if we had an opportunity to include more fully the gifts of the traditional world, the ancient world, that I think in some ways are tempting to, like we want to throw them off our backs because all these rituals and all this dogma and all these scriptures and tradition to manage, it feels kind of... It can feel unwieldy and it can feel burdensome, but actually I've found a lot of richness kind of going back into that and mining the traditional traditions for their, their knowledge and wisdom. So that, that's been a big part of my formation and it's, it's, it's unfolded in the Mormon community. I've looked at, you know, how can we like really deeply receive the gifts of our own lineage and ancestry, which in my neighborhood, my community in Salt Lake City, Utah, tends to be Christianity but then, how can we be bold about innovating on these gifts so it it's if it's a polarity, and I think we'll talk a little about polarity practice, but it's this polarity of novelty, like what's new mm. and emergent, and inheritance what we're what we're inheriting from the past and living in every moment so that's been a really rewarding framework for me, like uh um turning back to the ancestors and looking forward at the uh the many unborn Buddhas
0: that lie ahead. <laughs> It it there's a lot I could say but the question that comes up is um because just uh I think our generation I don't know how old you are but I know my parents they rejected religion mm-hmm. and you know I think for good reasons um yeah. yeah uh but I I feel much more comfortable with you know a more institutional type religion although I see of course many faults with it yeah. um so I I guess the question that comes up is like what what has that brought in? I mean, one of my first Buddhist teachers talked about Adishtana, I think the word was Adishthana, the power of the lineage, the transmission of the lineage. Mm-hmm. She was quite fierce about how mm-hmm. you know, there's all these like people out there doing their own thing, but they were missing out big time on this transmission of the yeah of the lineage. And yeah. so I'm just curious for you, what, what, what it brings in like when as you've brought in more of the traditional lineage, rich, rituals, whatever that is, what has it brought in? Great questions. Um, and I, I want to kind of speak about
1: this really personally because I, I noticed the temptation right now. I could speak about it, you know, abstractly in terms of high-level principles of here's why we should integrate the traditions, et cetera. But I'll just speak about it in a really, you know, in a way that's personal to me. And hopefully as people listen, they can connect to what's personal to them but i i come from uh, a lineage and ancestry of uh, christians who were persecuted in the eastern united states in the 19th century and so they were under duress they they fled their homes they left all of their belongings um some were murdered it was a violent history that my particular ancestors come from and they arrived like in this valley where i feel fortunate to be living and sitting right now they arrived in this valley and they had this—they had a religious vision. They had this vision that you know, uh, they were born free. There was a you know, this expansive vision in the United States in the 19th century of like how to realize our inalienable rights and freedom. And the the Mormon people took that to mean religious freedom as well. So they, so they really built this city, predicated on that religious vision of radical freedom. Um, and unique personhood. So I, I feel that power in the very soil here. You know, it's a visionary space. So part of what integrating tradition for me has brought is a sense of place. And it's given me, I, I think, I'm just talking here. I don't know if this is true, but I, my, my sense is that in the modern world, we think of ourselves as more mobile we're like production units and if i if i can get a job that pays this well in this city well then i'll move three thousand miles to that city you know I'll, i'll go um connecting to my own tradition has given me a sense of like no i i can't just go anywhere and do anything like i have a root system and if i if i sever those roots i perish and that 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 can feel confining, I think, to modern and postmodern minds. And I think in some rights it is. But to me, it's, you know, it's the uh, it's it's the chains that free us actually to be bound to land and ancestry and my ancestors vision of what the good life is that has given me exponential freedom to explore
0: within that space. So that's one thing that comes to mind. (laughs) Yeah. This, this is a, a beautiful reflection. Um, you know, it comes to what comes to mind is like meaning as well, that there's mm-hmm. something in the disconnection from place and, um, you know, um, uh, religion or um, uh, vehicles of meaning that have led to, I think, this, you know, meaning crisis as it's kind of becoming more popularly known now. is like, right. and, and so there's something... As I hear you speak about that sense of being in place, you know, which is incredibly fulfilling yeah. and potent, you know, to find one's expression in the world. So,
1: Yeah, th- no, I love thank you for that reflection, I think. Uh, and as you say that, I realize there's a kind of um, there's a both and going on here in the sense that as I as I feel a sense of rootedness in place, it actually allows me to come undone. In a really profound way, like just having a certain sense of stability on one hand, lets me deeply probe my assumptions about identity, and so it, it the the groundedness allows me to be extremely like ungrounded and undefined and indeterminable. So it's both, you know. I feel like you know that polarity allows us to have both
0: experiences, which I appreciate. I mean, it's uh, probably a good way good place to segue into polarities because you're bringing them in and um i just want to say like because i um i'm touched because i live in amsterdam now but i came here because i got into ken wilber uh who helped me through an extremely kind of deep existential crisis i had after an awakening experience Hmm. that you know was quite um brief but um immense and then i fell down into this existential Uh, crisis but ken wilbur really helped me put my (laughs) life my 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 um map back together of the world mm-hmm. and um but i didn't find in that community necessarily like the people like i wanted i wanted to know how you really live this you know like yeah. apply it in daily yeah. life and yeah. anyway and that but I, but I came over to like some big mind retreats that um gen genpo was doing and yeah, was cool. just blown away by that work and so cool. I so I we feel, both have you know, roots
1: there we both have roots yeah. at the
0: Kanzion Zen center and so like i love it. <laughs> yeah yeah um so, but yeah. So, so, I just wanted to reflect on that. I'm, I'm just curious then about polarities. Yeah. Um, I know you, are a facility, We're going to talk a bit later about your program spectra as well. But oh, sure. Um, um, well, let's let's go into this. What what's um what is integral polarity practice, and maybe we can just say why why are polarities so important to begin yeah. with in our developmental process?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a huge topic, um, and I, I'll, I'll say what I can say about it. I think um, it's it's a community-based conversation, too, and there are a lot of brilliant thinkers and practitioners, uh, some of whom you've had on your own show. So I'm, I'm honored to be in the conversation here. Um, well, just a little bit about the origin of integral polarity practice. So um, a longtime teacher and mentor of mine, John Kessler, uh, he he was involved, you know, in the uh, early days of the Integral Center. So he, um, you know, worked with Ken Wilber and also trained under Genpo Roshi uh, as a Zen student. And John had a sensibility, uh, perhaps because he knew Ken Wilber. Maybe this preceded his relationship with Ken. But John was working with uh, Zen and Genpo Roshi's really brilliant process, Big Mind, and felt that there is a developmental component that could be more explicit, so John essentially started to integrate the developmental models with the different voices and different themes that emerge at different stages of development so that was a really significant innovation um, and i could I'll say more about it but that that essentially led to i mean it's one lineage it's all there's only one lineage in a sense but John really foregrounded the developmental and integral aspects of like Genpo Roshi's teaching, took it in a new, new direction, and also framed the voice dialogue process in terms of complementary opposites. And the way John said it, like you know, I, I I spoke from these voices with Genpo for years, and started to notice that every time one voice speaks, the opposite voice was somewhere looming or wanting to speak up. So the whole practice is developmentally informed, integrally informed, and also has a way of bringing out of the shadows, out of unconsciousness, voices that are you know always present. And polarity has a way of doing that.
0: Mm. So maybe I'll pause there. I think I just said a big mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and maybe to listeners who don't know Genpo's work, which I think was influenced a lot by Hal and Sidra Stone's voice yeah. dialogue, which Has a Jungian background, it's like yeah. you're speaking as the voice of, you know, um, in Genpo's case, like these non dual or um, you know, um, enlightened voices like big mind or big heart. And yeah, you, you speak as that voice and you 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 experience, you know, you you experience what it is, you speak from it, and so, yes, yeah, totally, um, it's quite quite remarkable. Um, but yeah, so, um Could could I offer an example before you move on just to help listeners
1: along? So, you know, one of Genpo's great innovations in voice dialogue, he realized that the the Japanese approach, we might say the Eastern approach tended to be to just like kind of hammer down the individualized self, you know, beat down the ego into submission. And he realized, well, Westerners are just too individuated at this point. They're too willful. We can't beat it down. We have to, you know, support it. So he realized we couldn't beat down the ego, we had to actually honor it and, um, you know, even strike a deal with it, like, hey, is it okay if we speak to some voices here? So he classically started by, he'd voice dialogue with the voice of control and say, hey, as the voice of control, I get that you're in charge here and you call the shots, would you allow me to kind of work with some other voices? and? So the, the process would take off from there. Um, John's polarity insight was like, okay, if we can speak to the voice of control, what about its opposite? What about the voice of submission? And what gifts does the aspect of control in the life of the self bring? What gifts does the aspect of submission bring? And to, to start to see how like, all oh, these complementary opposites, the, all these voices, they have their wisdom, they have their function, they have their gifts that they offer the self, their gifts that they offer the world. And inevitably, as human beings, we have our preferences, we have value-laden preferences over maybe based on complex personal history and education and culture and upbringing. When I'm in the voice of submission, I feel vulnerable, I feel afraid, I feel uncomfortable. So maybe over a lifetime, I, I go towards this one voice of control. I like to be in control. I like to be the master of my fate. I like to know what's gonna happen next. In IPP, Integral Polarity Practice, we bring up that opposite that maybe has been buried in our psyche for a lifetime. And we, we bring it out and get curious about like, oh, what do you do? and like. Now that you finally have a chance to speak up, like what gifts do you offer? And you know, then the voice of submission will just come out of nowhere and say something like, Well, I help the self recognize higher power, what's genuinely higher and authentic and true and something to give myself to. And then the voice of control is like, Oh wow, you do that. I so sorry, I've hogged the stage all this time. And so these 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 qualities start to Become actually more powerful. Control isn't less powerful when we bring in submission. It actually is more powerful. So these opposites fulfill one another, and potentiate each other. And the, I'm just giving one example: control, submission. IPP is a whole map of the like human being of the cosmos and different polarities that are that can be activated and lived, and realized, and expressed through a human life. So it's a lot of fun.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Um, And so I'm curious, like, um, in that process, presumably in the person they're encountering what was repressed or, you know, cut off, and then, um, you know, it's not just an intellectual process, right? It's like, And and, and what what happens there? I mean, you know, there's there's so many directions we could go in now. I want to talk about the developmental part. We'll go into that. And I think these still points and so on. But if we just take this polarity you gave, I'm just curious, like how someone might begin to integrate that into their life, you know, like, yeah. um, yeah. Totally. Great question. Um, Yeah, I think the risk we run
1: with any practices that we intellectualize it. it doesn't have an opportunity to really land deeply in the heart and the body um, but the intention is for it to be a life practice you know for this this awareness and this expression to permeate every aspect of what we are and what we touch and what we influence and what we're influenced by so for an example, like and, and I've been working with these, you know, polarities and students and communities for years. So I have uh, I have a whole bag of stories to tell, <laughs> about, you know, any given polarity. I've got 10 stories about, oh, there's this one time. But, you know, when I think about so control and submission, it's a very it's a concrete polarity control, submission, these dynamics in human development. They come up, you know, by the time we're one year old. We're we're starting to work really work with control and submission. We're we're exercising our will in the world, but we're also running up against mommy, daddy, grandma, granddad, whoever's raising us, and realizing like oh like there's there's another will in this world, and sometimes I have to submit to it. But when I when I connect with like students on this polarity, for example. Um, different students are disconnected from different energies, so it's not always that students need more submission, less control. But I, I remember a specific student who um, actually had a Christian background and had left, you know, that that um, lineage, that tradition, long ago, and just speaking as the voice of submission out of nowhere in his particular psyche, he just he uh, the image of Christ on the cross just flashed before his eyes and it he said it just opened up this kind of floodgate of energy like the profound power of submission like like the humility of Christ's cross is a is an archetype that we couldn't even put words to and in a moment it just flooded into his heart he's like oh like i could be powerful in the world by submitting so what will i submit to as an expression of my power and it it changed his whole it, all of his perception changed from that moment as he reports it. And he noticed opportunities to submit, to yield, to soften in life, whereas before he would have been a little more habitually tense and uh, bearing down and controlling. So I think these like one degree shifts, I like to call this: If we shift attention one degree and open up to a new view, then walking around the world, we see new opportunities you know, to be in relationship in a new
0: way, to uh, carry out a livelihood in a new way and and so forth. Mm. It's it's a great example. How do you see then it being developmental? Because I can imagine that can unlock in him uh, a developmental process where he he sees more in the world, he becomes more complex. Yeah. Um, But yeah, how... Yeah. yeah, I mean,
1: that, that's a whopper of a question. I, I can't begin to answer it in a single sitting, but I can, I can reflect with you on the moment and say that. Um, and I'll stay with this example just because it helps us. I think spending time on one polarity, it helps us feel like, oh, well, that's just one. There are countless others. But if we get one really well, it gives us a little bit of a home base. So with, with control and submission, and, and for those who are familiar with developmental models, like this is really the province of power, the human being we talk about red and spiral dynamics we talk about the opportunist and torbert's work and uh you know the mature first person perspective with terry O'Fallon and stages it's really it's like around one year old where we start to come in our own sense of agency and will and we can express our will in the world it's power Except in, you know, I happen to have a 15-month-old little roshi living in my house, who's my son. So he's just this force of nature. So this is a very, this this polarity, this, this dynamics, very alive for me right now, um, <clears throat> because my son is new in this developmental dynamic and quality it's not a supremely polished quality. It's not a mature quality where he knows when to control, knows when to submit, knows when to attune to me and mom. It's more just like, he'll just scream if he doesn't get something. And, you know, if we're flexible with that. It can be quite a joy. (laughs) And other times it can be frustrating. Um, However, here's where it gets really developmental. Here's one way to respond to your question. I think in like, uh, circles of practice whatever communities we belong to where we're intending to grow up and wake up and you know exercise our consciousness i think there's a common misunderstanding that getting in touch with like that power dynamic my red my you know whatever that particular bandwidth of consciousness it's like oh i'm you know i'm gonna like go around raging and you know expressing my sense of power and control not realizing that, yes, that's how it initially makes its debut in human life as the one-year-old, but how does bringing our highest awareness to that developmental quality of control, submission, how does that bring about a much more refined quality of power that shows up as, for example, I named humility. Humility is one of the profound virtues we see when a mature human being exerts uh power from a very awakened place that's attuned to the self to other to environment to world it doesn't show up as the raging one-year-old it shows up as like something profoundly i mean meek and humble there's a profound quality of peace where we feel the power but the power is in a kind of quality of stillness and presence Right. So as adults, this was a revelation to me when I started working with Kessler and his polarities is a total revelation to me that, yeah, I developed the capacity to express power in the world when I was one year old. But how much have I refined that quality of power and learned how to apply it skillfully, appropriately in the right moment, the right amount at the right time? So it's an endless practice. Yeah. You, you can kind of get a sense of like it just goes yeah. forever.
0: Yeah. And it, like I'm inspired by that because um, that you can, it becomes workable then though, doesn't it? Like it's yeah. not just an intellectual idea, but it's like, you know, actually something I can um, take object on, but also like live from in the moment. I can feel perhaps, uh, where I am in the pole, you know, and, and totally. what might be needed to take place in that moment. Do I need to submit more, totally. you know, am I being, or am I being invited to, uh, bring in more control, you yeah, know, but exactly. it's not from a reactive place. It's actually yes. from a, a, a responsive place. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. Yeah, no, you just hit that
1: exactly on the head. It's, you know, in Buddhism, it's, it's Prajna, it's wisdom mind. I'm so present. That I know how to respond appropriately in a given moment, and you intuited so we talk a lot about still points in integral polarity practice when we talk about polarities there 's this and there 's that there 's control and there 's submission there 's I, I mentioned novelty inheritance there are all these these opposites, but what I one thing that 's I think really an innovation in integral polarity practice is. It intuits what John calls the still point. He could have called it anything, but he calls it the still point. And it's the place you just spoke from. So I'm just naming it for the listeners that when we're in the still point, the still point is as a formless field. There's there's no habit. There's no fixity. There's no predetermination. There's just open presence. In which case, when I'm in the still point, by definition, exactly what you said, even if at a personality level, I have a strong preference to be in control. Even if I've spent a whole lifetime ignoring the gifts of submission, when I'm in the still point, they're all available. Control and submission all at once, this whole field of virtue and power and expression, and something deeper than the me that I take to be me often, it comes through and it just shows up how it needs to. So still point practice is about like we collapse the opposites. There are no more opposites in the still point. There's just manifesting, there's doing, there's there's intelligent love and doing what needs to be done in a moment. So you just mm. saying that so beautifully, Joel. I'm kind of imperfectly reflecting it back, but.
0: Yeah, you know. well, um, but how, how do you access that still point? You know, how do you access that thing, which, you know, we are, but we, Maybe don't often live from or recognize we are, yeah. Or you said collapsing the polarities. How how do you how do you unify the that? polarities? Maybe makes,
1: more, makes more sense to people and yeah. yeah. How how do we access it? Um, you know, to have a skilled guide, someone who you know, like a like a roshi in Zen, like they're holding something, and you know, you you just get this you, you get this kind of contact high in a sense from you know being around a, a powerful spiritual teacher. Uh, some people, uh, have a maturity in their development, their awareness, where the, the still point we could call it is palpable. And it, so it's by osmosis. It's just like being in the field of those emanations where it's like, oh, that's in me too. We realize the still point where could it be, but also like right at the heart of who I am. Right. So by, by modeling, we can learn it. Um, sometimes life just drops us into it accidentally. You know, it sounds like you dropped into a whopper of a still point at some point and had a significant awakening. I mean, sometimes nature just takes us there. Mm. Um, and and you you know this as an integral student, but having a good map, even just knowing that there's a still point that we call peace. And that's associated with the qualities of control and submission. Just knowing it's there, it's like, oh, I kind of know to look for it now because it's in my awareness so a good map helps good teachers help good communities help
0: all that stuff mm. you know the classics
1: right. the, go, the go-to's
0: <laughs> right I think I, I remember Genpo I can't remember what he said but I remember having a one-on-one session with him and I so I can't remember what I said which is a shame for this story but I had a question and he basically did what you just said he he kind of like embodied the integration because my question was basically coming from a poll you know in a sense of like right or wrong or like what's the answer and he kind of responded with some beautiful phrase and I just was like "Ah." (laughs) you know I remember just being like it just popped something inside of me totally and that was the still point and it came up, yeah. where, you know, and then that was it. We were done, you know, it took like yeah. five minutes. It wasn't <laughs> a, right. and then I remember going outside and I was like, bloody
1: hell. Like, yeah. this Absolutely. is like,
0: yeah, so you know, beautiful. Yeah. And
1: that, that kind of pop is, that's the, this, the experience of opposition, just kind of collapsing into a, you know, an open, we can say a non-dual realization, but it's like, oh, the opposites are gone. So there's no more tension. So there's just creative flow and doing the next thing.
0: Mm. Um, I want to ask you about the developmental uh, part of it. So we've talked about control and submission, but, um, you know, we could either um, go through them or maybe a question that's here that might lead to that as naming some of the polls that, you know, we might be, because I guess I'm wondering, like, how do we yeah. Find what pole might be most alive for us right now. Is yeah. there a pole that's working us? You yeah. could name some of the ones that you know yeah. um, might be higher up on that, or yeah. more mature poles. Totally. Yeah. Well, and I'll to to respond
1: to your question. I'll do the opposite. I'll I'll actually start with the lower, like the the foundations, the earliest levels of development, because one of the great Lessons I've ever received from any teacher comes from John and polarity practice. And I joke with them now that in hindsight, it's like Mr. Miyagi and the Karate Kid. Like, why are you having me paint this fence and wax <laughs> your cars? It, it, he had me doing these exercises that felt like, oh, these are the prelims. This is like, these are the basics. And I've been doing them for years. I think I was five years into the practice. Where I'm just like, dude, why don't we talk about the later polarities? <laughs> right and he he just in his like very peaceable way he said we need a powerful concrete container to hold the higher energies one of the one of the greatest lessons of my wonderful. life wonderful yeah yeah so great. so like you know spending time on the most foundational elements of our development pays incredible dividends over time i found so yeah. there, we, we could talk, we could spend this whole conversation talking about the, what John calls the concrete polarities, which refer to the concrete stages of childhood and early development. But there's a whole world in there and uh, it really changed my life to just like forget about the high flying, you know, imaginal causal realities and just stick with the like, oh, yeah, control submission. Oh, yeah. Just the basic dynamics of self and other. Oh, yeah. The basic quality of expansion and contraction of life itself just staying in these very foundational qualities for years it 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 gave me a sense of a container where it's like okay maybe i'm maybe i'm ready for a little something else
0: which we can but talk about I, now but i yeah, wanted to lay no, that groundwork <laughs> i think it's a great point you know because i know I, I feel regret in my own like meditative practice of like yeah. um getting caught in reaching for the higher practices and yeah. I did get I did get a lot from that. But yeah, you know, I also think I would have, you know, uh, it could have been faster if you actually went more slowly and spent yeah. time on the preliminary practices, which are actually really important. So yeah, yeah, totally. Um if you I can, could actually share, yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> if
1: I could make a comment here, and, and and I would like to get to the later stages too, because they are important. Because we're we're adults who are interested in developing ourselves, helping others develop, so it's really important. But the last thing I'll say about this element of po- integral polarity practice that I've loved is, you know, it's a common question in workshops, seminars, retreats. People want to talk about like, oh, I want to talk about teal and turquoise and indigo and these you know higher reaches of human consciousness, but it's, it's not every student who asks, like, how do I really like dial my red, really want to work on, or even like beige. I think that's the color that comes before, like, how do I really work on my beige? We don't talk like that, but, or we don't often talk like that. But what I love is that in my own practice, I've found like, no matter what altitude I reach, no matter how like late a stage, so to speak. In any given moment, life calls me to bring that highest awareness to the most foundational qualities. So I I mentioned this earlier, like the quality of humility is a potential that comes up, say at the red, you know, meme or the, you know, early first person stages of human development. But it will take me an entire lifetime and longer to like really deepen and refine a sense of humility. Um, One of the qualities at at beige or the very like 1.0 first person perspective, brand new babies born, in a sense, there's just expansion, contraction, there's heartbeat, there's breath, there's neurons, you know, on and off. And as we go deeper and deeper into these foundational qualities of life and consciousness itself, we we start to intuit these qualities of, well, I'll, I'll just say like a reverence for life. Yeah. And like how many lifetimes could it take us to truly express reverence for life? That's a quality that's the very first of all qualities. You know, in the the Bible, it says, you know, Christ teaches the, the first shall finish last and the last shall finish first in IPP. It's the same way, like this quality that seems so okay. That's, you know, when I was a student, oh, that's a preliminary. Okay. I've been doing this for years. Let's get to the later stuff. And now it's like, oh, that preliminary is the highest expression of practice. If I did nothing but emanate a reverence for life.
0: You know, yeah. Yeah.
1: That's the, that's what- the sage. That's the.
0: Yeah. Um, Actually, I wanna I, and what it brings up is um, people <clears> like Spring Cheng, who I got connected to, and she is a big fan of developmental models, but also of um, Taoism and the uh, uh, Tao teaching, and actually um, is kind of advocating that yeah. there is an ascend a bias towards ascending in yeah, that's a lot right. of the Western models, and she's talking about the, you know, for example, she gives. You know there's often this like um denigration of like these earlier stages of maturity but you know if you go in the in some of these cultures tribal cultures yeah they're their like complexity their, their sense of um, understanding of complexity yes. is remarkable in the jungle you know yeah uh, but we like say oh that it's actually the later stages that are yes. the ones that are able to make you know more sense of the complexity of the world and yes so she's really saying we need ascending and descending and this is yes. something about coming into the, the the womb of life or the you know this decompos- decomposing which is so i hear that expansion yes. and contraction thing yeah so i don't totally. know what comes up as i i name this
1: um, well, no you, you hit it absolutely and as you say her name i'm familiar i'm a little bit familiar with her work and absolutely um i'm talking about descending practice which is another polarity ascending descending they end up being this the same thing and yet if we just privilege ascending practice we, we lose our roots we lose the ground we lose the wisdom of the, the earth and the forests and uh and so on so yeah you're, you're pointing to something that's really vital and it's taken me years to appreciate it and i continue to yeah intend to appreciate it even more but it's so significant
0: Cause what, what, um, what did John have you doing in these like early years? You know, can you let like, Literally did he, waxing did he get his
1: cars your... and painting his fans now? <laughs> 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 um, yeah, for example, like, uh, I, I, I think I might've done this exercise when you had me on Coach's rising recently, but just starting with something as basic as physiological expansion, contraction, intuiting the still point of that polarity expansion, contraction of just rest, like profound physical rest in the body, uh, calm in the mental, emotional body, and serenity in the causal body or the body of pure awareness. So just really like day in, day out for years, like having good access to rest, calm, serenity. And then out of this still point, out of this realization come the virtues we say like virtue meaning non-egoic behavior like you know we hear about the dao and out of the dao flows the du. that's why it's called the dao De ching De virtue non-egoic behavior flows out of the dao so i he john taught me to realize like okay when i'm truly contacting the still point of rest it's like do you notice a quality of acceptance, like awareness is just an open space of potential that says yes to everything arising? Do you notice that there's a vibrancy, a vitality animating it all? Do you feel a quality of reverence? Can you can you contact that quality of reverence? So it was they were it was meditative, they were awareness practices. It was pointing out, and then it was like intending to you know, everywhere I went throughout my life, like, am I still in contact with it? Have I lost the still point? Have I lost the sense of reverence? You know, is this guy, you know, when someone's yelling at me or, you know, has the gall to disagree with me even, you know, am I in touch with the fundamental holiness of their being and their existence? So it's, Mm -hmm. it's touching the still point, uh, stabilizing in the still point, and then learning how to notice like what, what events, what experiences in life knock me out of the still point? I mean, that's the basic
0: rhythm of the practice, you know? Right. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I'm um, just thinking about the things like bowing or, um, you know, as um, perhaps embodied yes. ways of embodying part of a still point or something like that, uh, you know, or um, yeah. not part, sorry, I don't mean that. I mean, like, yeah. you know, bringing in an embodied expression of like, um, humility, which is,
1: yeah. Exactly. Um, No, that's beautiful. One of, one of the ways I've liked to train with students over the years when I speak to a given voice, if it's, if I want to speak to reverence for life, I'll ask that voice, like, how would you express physically in this moment? Like, you know, and reverence comes forth, you know, so yeah, Yeah. to somatize it, to ritualize it is a powerful way to do polarity practice. Mm. Yeah. You're good at this, Joel. (laughs) (laughs) We need to hire you. (laughs) Well, you
0: know, I'm open to offers. um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Yeah. So, well, one of the things I hear you saying is actually, recommending that we tend to these um you know these like earlier stages in -hmm. ourselves that that are and there's an art in in like um you know it's not like it's like there's a real journey you can go around each each kind of pole yeah and the still point and you can refine your kind of artistry inside of that yes yes and so there's there's a real you know commitment and dedication to each pole and um so i hear that like i, I hear that it's a really good recommendations so, so i wonder where we go in our conversation now could could yeah. would it be interesting to name some of the later stages i think so yeah no i think i've yeah. I've, I've tried to honor my teacher by really sticking with the <laughs> early
1: stages for a little while <clears throat> um yeah the later stages well this is a later stage than we've been talking about uh so the stage that comes up in the early orange meme of spiral dynamics, or it's some Terry O'Fallon calls it 3.0, the early third person. Um, you know, this is, this is the stage of development. We, the research shows that we tend to come into it in our late adolescence, maybe even early 20s, so to give people an idea of when this quality is coming online, but it's really the birth of the, you know, psychologically independent adult We're not independent yet when we're 18, some of us more than others. (laughs) I might have been behind the curve in this particular (laughs) developmental stage. But at any rate, um, you know, the capacity to individuate psychologically to, you know, to become a true, like unique, independent personality that really starts to come forth. Um, in this stage and the polarity we work with it's it's the polarity that's thematic by thematic i mean um it's a dynamic it's an energy that seems to be the most prominent in this stage and therefore have the most leverage to help us exercise the stage and be healthy we talk about assert knowledge yield to knowledge so mm-hmm. so go See back more about that Yeah, I'll say more about it. So as we're kind of moving into the subtle territory of more refined emotions in our late adolescence, uh, ideas, there's a tendency, because we're still very much a part of the collective, we still have the socialized mind operating, we tend to believe authority readily. It's like if I hear something on good authority, if my church leader says it, if my boss says it, well... You know, they're the expert and some, you know, Bill Torbert calls this the expert stage because we orient around expertise. We seek to build expertise. But what does that mean? Really, What are we actually doing in our development when this happens? Well, we could break it down in polarity terms of like I assert knowledge, like I, I tell you what I know and like I know it, damn it, at this stage, I know what I know. But then there's also the opposite quality of yielding to knowledge. When an expert asserts their knowledge, I yield to it. And as this polarity like becomes more toned and refined, I love your language there, like we develop the artistry. Um, Mm. Love that. I'm going to use that from here out. It's the best language I've heard. As we develop and cultivate that artistry in a particular, uh, in in this particular polarity, we start to intuit the uh, still point of a quiet mind. So we, we work with quiet mind in this stage and the quiet mind, like, like we mentioned earlier in the other still point, it allows me to appropriately receive knowledge when that's appropriate. And it allows me to assert knowledge when I, when I'm standing for something, when I know it. And out of this still point of a quiet mind comes a quality of openness and curiosity. Yeah. And we can spend a whole lifetime, like noticing, like, oh, I get in a group and I, I talk a lot, and I default to all the stuff I know, but when I'm like in the stuff I don't know, I feel kind of vulnerable, and I, I don't like how that feels in my body, and the still point of quiet mind that teaches me on a subtle level now, to like really rest as openness, and receive, and give, and like right. whatever's called for in a moment. You know, so that's another example of moving up the ladder a little bit.
0: And I'm curious, like, how um, one's own, because you said, like, socialized mind. And I can imagine as one develops that capacity to notice where I'm, you know, unconsciously um, taking in someone's knowledge as the truth. Right. Um, the, the, where power comes in again, you know, like there's a kind of, you know, in Keegan's self-authoring. Yeah comes online after socialize yes that's right and so yeah what how does that fit in there is that is that something that can start to to grow in that place in that quiet mind place as well is what something that can start to grow um you know like a kind of sort of self-power you know like um socialize sorry um self-authoredness or yeah yeah absolutely no that's, that's that's a great question um
1: I'm very steeped in Terry O'Fallon's work and the stages model. I I really love it. I think it's an amazing innovation on the tradition. And Terry tends to talk about harmonics and octaves, meaning let's go back to control submission. If I have a polished sense of power, I know when and how and how much to exert power. That foundation of power supports uh, these later stage capacities so when i'm learning how to assert knowledge that refined sense of power is imbued in that asserting of knowledge right so all of the stages coalesce everything is everything and to whatever extent we've accessed any quality of still point or cultivated any virtue that virtue shows up in all the other aspects of our life or at least it potentially can does that speak to what you're saying? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And yeah. what it brings up is actually quite exquisite because um, that actually, that that I get a sense of an org- organic growth that happens as one is able to do that integrative work, you know? yeah. In my earlier days, I think I had this like sense of, um, I'm striving to become more developed than I am, you know? Right. Well, wh- where's that coming from inside totally. of me as well? You totally. know, what's that yeah. about? But. Yeah. I, I, like as I've grown and as I've done integrative work and work with clients, it's like, I'm not, I'm not interested in growing them. It's actually like right. at, through healing or integration, then, then the evolution kind of happens, you know, by itself. You totally. know I mean? I'm, I'm putting it very simplistically, but yeah, no. that's what I hear. And what you're saying is like, by doing that, that really um, um, important foundational work, that actually supports the the someone's self worthness.
1: Yes. Know. No. That's really beautifully said, Joel. Um, just another example to help you know listeners connect some some dots. Um, you, you said a moment ago you noticed in your own spiritual practice, at a certain point there was a kind of striving, like wanting to get somewhere, wanting to whatever. Right? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. We see, you know, at the next stage. So I named the early third person, early orange, when we get into late orange or the achiever or the mature third person consciousness, you know, we've developed enough capacity, enough skill at this bandwidth of development that we can imagine, you know, future goals, aspirations and work really hard towards them. But this stage has a kind of burnout potential to it. Like all I do is strive, strive and drive all the time. That's like where my energy is taken up. The still point of this next stage after the expert, um, it's, it's a sense of completion and perfection, which is the very quality that tends to elude us when we're striving and driving and trying to become something, we forget that we already are something, we already are everything. And so when we touch deeply into the still point at, at Achiever or mature third person or orange, then we, we get in to touch with these qualities that like might have very well escaped us mm-hmm. before. It's this sense of like effortless doing it's like, I'm still right. doing stuff, but I don't feel like I'm burning out doing it. I'm just kind of happening. It's from fullness to fullness. I'm moving. And it's so rewarding to like work with people to coach people and work in groups where like these still points are blocked. They're, they don't have full access to them and to just fill a whole room, drop into effortless doing and perfection. It's like, oh, wow, I needed that chiropractic adjustment like 30 years ago. Where was that? You know? so it, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Man, I mean, every one of these, I'm like, God damn, I've got some no. work to yeah, do. Like it. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, IPP um,
1: has given me a deep love, like a, an abiding love for all the stages. I, I just see an, an yeah. infinite potential for growth in every stage. We say that, like, in developmental circles, our, you know, developmental practitioners, we always. We're taught to say and i think we do say and i think we mean it that like every stage is as good as the other it's not about late stages i think we really mean that but for me ipp like really grounded it like no seriously like there's an infinity of growth in the earliest stage and you'll never be done exploring it in this lifetime it just gave me such an awesome sense of like wonder and humility for how what is human development like do we even know what development right. is. <laughs> that's yeah. that's yeah. what it got me asking. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. Yeah, I feel that. That's what I'm in touch with right now. I'm like, God damn, these, yeah. days, like, <laughs> totally. these stages where I'm like, that's yeah. just remarkable because you can, yeah. as you mentioned, these still points, I'm like that effortless doing is yeah. something that's deeply important to me and right. um, that I'm, I'm aware of when it's happening and when it's not, you know? And, right, um, exactly. How much... Man, if you look at our modern world, it's like how much are we in need of yeah. more effortless doing? Because yes. people are burnt out; they're like yes. whacked out on striving. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like a massive shadow in our—I mean, Western culture. I'm talking about because that's yeah. the one I'm familiar with. But yeah, totally. we are just like addicted to the 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 striving, aren't we? Yeah. yeah. So, so I'm, I'm really, I'm really feeling that reverence for these totally. different elements. I want to ask, wonderful, um, wonderful. Can we, can we unpack one more? Like, yeah, please. Maybe like around the, the construct to type. Yeah, um, that was
1: on my mind. That'd be fun to talk yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. Well, and a, I and think that's end, relevant for a lot of people. Yeah, build. So you know, building off of these still points and these virtues, if we have a good access to rest and calm and serene it sets us up because this is you know like concrete development it's our container but then when 5.0 fifth person perspective construct aware uh turquoise etc All the, i'm trying to hit all the names so people listening feel oriented but then um that that quality that's so foundational to our humanity it it is it's reprised it's it's re-expressed at a new level of subtlety in the human being. It supports us. The work we did earlier supports us. Now it's our new foundation. And when we, when we're working with construct aware, the particular, there are a lot of, there are countless polarities we could create to work with any bandwidth, but in IPT, we try to identify the highest leverage polarity that really lets us get into the energy. And in this case, we work with language meaning, language emptiness. Language means something. Constructs mean something they do. You and I, we've been trading on constructs for the last hour. They mean something and they don't, they're completely empty. Mm. And coming into construct aware, we've spent a lifetime, I think, focusing on the language meaning side of the street. And then the tendency as we mature at construct aware is to kind of empty out, I say, there's that mulching, um, kind of disintegrating process where everything we thought was so solid and substantial, it feels like so much steam, and we learn to rest in this basic quality of—I forget what John calls it at the moment—but empty language, empty meaning. It's a kind of it's 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 a wordlessness. Mm. And yet, this wordlessness is far from meaninglessness. If if we ever, if we really touch wordlessness, it's like when Rumi says, the soul lies down in these pastures and the world is too full to speak. It's that, it's too full to speak. And when I touch into the still point, I feel this awesome sense of just presence. It's like the incarnation of the whole cosmos. It's like, boom, boom. And and there's no occlusion mentally. There's no map that's like blocking out the light. It's just, boom, it's here. Mm -hmm. So we, we just hold this together and practice it together and invite one another back into this stream of wordlessness.
0: Yeah. 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 I can sense that still point as you speak, the, you know, the, the, it becomes palpable, more palpable. Right. And, um, yeah. The, you know, so actually I noticed it's a bit harder to find the the next question or what, what I want to say. Yeah,
1: well I was just laughing. I, I had the same thought. Like let me speak to the voice of wordlessness.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Not a lot to say.
0: What what I like about it too is um the, I wonder, because at this stage, I wonder about the, the, one of the pitfalls being a sense of nihilism or nihilism. It's like, yeah. um, You know, I I actually, that's something I've experienced at different, different phases in my journey. This year in particular, you know, actually had a interesting, and this is, um, you know, connecting this to the earlier stage, you mentioned reading, reading a certain person's writing, um david chapman who's a kind of brilliant thinker and writer um but really like above my pay grade in terms of his you know capacity to think about the world but then getting caught in um you know like shit like he's he's right or like he, he what happened on a healthy level he was challenging my maps mm-hmm. of the world mm-hmm. But then on a slightly subconscious level, I kind of, he became an internal authority then that yeah, I gave yeah. my power away to. Yeah, nice. And so that all kind of came crashing down because um, on one level, it's like I, oh, there was all these sense of identity that was formed by how I made meaning of the world that had been the rug pulled underneath it and had made him this inner authority. Yeah. So there was a yeah. there was a period of quite severe nihilism yeah. that, that ensued from that. That actually I could say is productive from this place, mm-hmm. but actually uh, inside of it was you know it's not it's a kind of awful place to be. Yeah, I'm not quite sure where I'm sharing this, but it's like I get the sense no, of how I'll,
1: I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. If, yeah, if I can jump in, I love what you're sharing, and yeah. I you know I, so I worked with Terry O'Fallon. And Jeff Fitch for years at Pacific Integral, they have a really innovative program called GTC, Generating Transformative Change, and that that program over the years came to attract more and more people at these altitudes. So I actually spent a lot of my like professional time just observing really close up what happens at this stage, and absolutely there is a there's a, there's a danger of a pitfall of you know like just total like. Emptiness, hollowness, meaninglessness. And yet if we're working with a polarity, it's picking up like, oh, no, language, meaning, language, meaning that's still here. We, at 5.0, at Construct Aware, we tend to fixate on the emptiness because it's so new. It's like, oh, wow, nothing means anything. Nothing means what I thought means. I'm not what I thought I was. All that we can kind of like fall into the pit of the void. But then we pick up language, meaning it's like, I love my son. Yeah. Like, I love my son is a construct. And I love my son and that's real. And we okay. start to build a new world out of a new substance, which is constructed in a sense, but it's fine. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. I love my right. son.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. There's, it's
1: really simple. There's a profound simplicity that comes up at this stage and like really owning the power of language meaning and the generativity of language, it births something. When I say I love my son and I feel it in my whole being, it births something, and that's
0: not nothing, but they're both important, you know? Right. You know, what touches me about that is because in the in the midst of that, there was some dark weeks, and yeah. that my daughter was one of the things that it was just unarguable, you know? Because I yeah. was like in, in the void, man. You know, it was yeah. like, what's real? Right. Uh, Unmoored, you know, like. Yeah. But the the one thing would be like when I saw my daughter, I would be like, I love her. That's right. I can't. Not, I love her. That's great. I I just you know, and so it it was a real tether, you know. It was a real tether, and then you know, yeah. over the weeks, more more kind of came in. Yeah. More more ground again. So beautiful.
1: Yeah. I, so in yeah. my experience, at construct aware to to hold the still point of wordlessness, but. Putting the mind and the heart in Christian parlance, like to rest in the heart and feel how real love is. Love itself is real, whatever that means. We we know it's real in a new way, and we we build a new home on that basis, and it's, it's a whole new human life. So, mm-hmm. and there. I hear. A, I you hear can hear her in the back. <laughs> <laughs> there she is, she's coming in. Hallelujah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah.
0: beautiful. So. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Well, this has been an, an exquisite conversation for me, and I can feel like we're only like a third of the way through, or something. You know, oh, all, yeah, because there's, there's more. like there's more. I want to ask you about. Um, um the the program you run as well and you yeah know, you work with individuals and groups and yeah actually um you know i really really value um exploring the transformational encounter yeah you know whether that is with a, an individual a group or an organization yeah well we might have to save that for next time maybe Um, another installment um if i can
1: say briefly about spectra because we've been talking polarity practice this whole time which has been a delight i just this is i I love it i just feel so whole and embodied and alive and in love when i when i share this with you joel um you know our nine month training it's really an exploration of integral polarity practice so Mm. it's nine months of what we've been
0: doing <laughs> right, great. Yeah, okay, well, that's, that's <laughs> so like, okay, that's good. That's all we done. Do next, We'll <laughs> cross that one <laughs> off in, in two minutes. Um, what I, I feel like asking you this: what, what's inspiring you at the moment? I mean, I feel I feel that anyway yeah. in everything you're saying, but I'm curious if there's like something that's come in mm-hmm. to you. It could be, you know, a mode of practice or just yeah. something you're following. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, well, uh, what's present for me
1: right now um, often is this kind of quality, this razor's edge of life and death. They're really just the same. Um, so this moment right now, this arising, is it's so precious. It's precious beyond words. And that arising I was just speaking to is already gone. Life and death. So I, I just feel this incredible poignancy around, like, how is it that a world and and a self and another, it's it's manifesting in this moment and it's gone the next, again and again. Mm. Uh, what a mystery that we're participating in the arising. Um, I, I feel a real reverence for it. Mm
0: yeah as you share that i can feel the balm that that is in a sense of um reverence the balm of the reverence of, right uh, because even that polarity for me is playing out collectively right now in right. different kind of time frames or scales you know yeah. in terms of like climate change and geopolitical right. collapse and right so but it seems like we're in one side of a pole of death mm-hmm. i don't know i mean i'm yeah. just saying yeah. this i'm not thinking yeah, I'm not no, do, but, ago,
1: ago.
0: you know there's a lot of fear around and i think there's there is a sense of death and i think it's and grieving yeah and i think there's a lot of good in that that we we include that um but but as you name this like almost like now on this like micro or like even infinite sense of life and death death continually happening right moment to moment then it then there's yeah. a kind of liberation in that for me of like well, yeah uh life uh, yeah and death but yeah yeah to, like to you, yeah no
1: exactly beautiful like here we're like the world's still here like here we are again where mm-hmm. did this come from <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and what's <laughs> gone is gone and now we're here again yeah there's um there's something about uh, participating in this activity that's, that's so touching to my heart. So, I'm a new yeah, dad a too, so I'm sappy. Everything's yeah. just off, just well, over the top beautiful with the new sun in the world. So. Yeah,
0: it <laughs> does that, doesn't it? I have the same thing. It's it's. Um, um, you know as many parents listening will will know um, yeah <laughs> wow it brings that whole thing of life and death into yeah. perspective in many different forms so
1: yeah and for um, some it's the mountains and the oceans and we all have our our,
0: our portals yeah. into it so yeah. we're all invited to the feast <laughs> um i do mean that about like this being the first of of other conversations, you know. Oh, i love um, to talk to you again, Joel.
1: It's, it's really, yeah. I just feel a deep heart connection and a yeah. brotherhood and so appreciate your
0: work. It's, it's really amazing. Uh, well, you know, likewise, you know, I think that's palpable. I can hear my daughter getting closer and closer. She's <laughs> finding a way upstairs. Um, she's looking for a brother. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel that, you know, brotherhood. Um, I'm, you know, I think that's palpable in our conversation today with people. We've just second time we're meeting, but um, yeah. Also, so it will be the first of other conversations. And I I do want to say, like, where can we find out more? I'm sure people listening will be interested to know more about the work you do and maybe contact you. Yeah, yeah. That's generous. Thank you.
1: All of my work right now is up on LowerLightsWisdom.org. Maybe you can throw in the show notes. I don't have to spell that out. Yeah. But I'd love definitely. to be in touch we'll with the in, community. Yeah. So that's lowerlights.org. Lowerlightswisdom.org is the Low- website. Oh, yes.
0: I just screwed right. that yeah. up. <laughs> no Lowerlightswisdom. But yeah. <laughs> now people will remember it. <laughs> Lowerlightswisdom.org. Yeah. That's right. We'll definitely yeah. link to that in the show notes. Yeah. Cool. Appreciate that, Joel. Here we are. We're at the end of the podcast. Just a heads up again if you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about